Inside each and every one of us, there is a desire to belong, to know that we can show up as we are without judgment or justification, to know what it feels like to be wanted and longed for, to know the power of community. But what if each and every one of us had the power to create belonging from within? What if there were people already building spaces for you to be you? What if they believe so deeply in the power of connections, justice, collaboration, creativity, and empathy that they knew they could heal the world? That is where you belong. And the exploration of spaces, places, and experiences where we allow ourselves to be free. There is a place where you belong. Welcome. We've been waiting for you to arrive. Hi there, and welcome to Where You Belong, the podcast where we explore spaces, places, and experiences where we allow ourselves to be. My name is Anna Chapman, and I will be your guide on this journey. And today I am so excited to share with you our guest, Carrie Human. Carrie works at Instrument on the human development team. Carrie also has a career coaching consulting business called 10th House Career Coaching, where he supports individuals who feel overworked, uninspired, and ready to find their calling. Carrie also works with, and I'm super inspired by this, the Insight Alliance to offer mindfulness teaching via the well-being program in correctional facilities in Oregon. Carrie is a heart-centered leader, community uplifter, and an outstanding human being, one who I am just so excited and grateful to share with you today. So uh, as always, I want you to remember that you can reach out to us via Instagram at I am Anna Chapman. You can tell us how you're enjoying the show. Tell us what you're wanting more of. Uh, you can also email IamAnnaChapman at gmail.com and send a message there. But know that today as you're listening, I really want to invite you to allow your heart to open up a little. Allow this space to be one of receptivity and openness and as you listen, if anything happens in your body or in your awareness or or if there's any reaction, take some time to really honor and care for that part in you. Because this is what our conversation was all about, is how we come back inside and how we show up in the world from that place. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Belonging with Carrie. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Where You Belong. I am so excited because today I have a guest that's kind of a household name in Titus and my home, and that is Carrie. Hi, Carrie. How are you? Hello, Anna. I am blessed, super grateful to be here. And um, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot going on. I'm very grateful to be here and, and present. I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm, there's so much going on. I'm so looking. I've actually been looking forward to this conversation all month because. Me too. Um, oh, yay. 
I had the opportunity of having a conversation with you. Was it last? It was last year. Um, and it was just so profound. We talked about um, belonging and I uh, was doing a sort of research project and I got to ask Carrie some um, questions around belonging, around creating belonging in um, workspaces. And I just, your, your energy and your vibe is so um, grounded and authentic that I, I was like, oh, Carrie's got to be on the show. So I would love for you to share with folks who have never met you um, a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, again, and I thank you so much for um, just having me on as a guest. I've been, I've really been looking forward to this. Uh, yeah, I'm Carrie Human. Uh, I guess I'll say what I do professionally, and then sort of what I do just as a human in the world. Uh, Perfect. Prof- yeah, professionally, um, I work for a company uh, called Instrument in Northeast Portland. I am uh, I'm, I'm in human resources, but my role is uh, associate manager in human development. And essentially, uh, that means that I get to help uh, over 250 creatives with um, you know career management, conflict resolution, goal setting, and just all the stuff in between of uh, just being human. You know, whether you're having a hard day or just trying to work through something, um, I have an opportunity to hold space uh, at that capacity. There, um, outside of that, uh, I spend a reasonable amount of time volunteering um, in the prison system uh, with an organization called the Inside Alliance. And there, uh, we essentially bring mindfulness principles to inmates who are uh, essentially like within a year of getting out and getting back into the real world. So uh, essentially, it's like restorative. Uh, it's, it's restorative like conversations to really help them get back into the world utilizing mindfulness principles. Uh, super um rewarding and uh, really enjoy that work. And uh, yeah, outside of that, I'm, I'm, I'm a human being, you know, full spectrum. Um, <laughs> I have my emotions. Um, yeah, I'm in Seattle right now, not too far away from Chaz and um, have really just enjoyed just being around the people and the conversations and just really having a chance to, to be, to have a front row seat in history. Uh, a lot's really unfolding here. Wow. Yeah. You were, um, right before we started recording, you were sharing that I'm, so for those of people who don't know, can you share a little bit about what Chaz is and, and why it's there and, and just give a little bit of insight there? Sure. Yeah. So Chaz, the name is actually changed to CHOP, but Chaz was uh, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. And now CHOP is the Capitol Hill Occupied Protest Zone. And essentially, um, about what, almost three weeks ago, um, the Seattle police moved out of their precinct, which is like right here in Capitol Hill. And uh, a bunch of protesters essentially occupy that area. And their whole point was to um, stand their ground and make demands to the city to uh, defund the police. I mean, there are a few other things on the agenda, but the big thing really was to just defund the police and uh, just create uh, a a much more equitable justice system. Um, And it's been really interesting because now essentially there's a protest of some sort every day, but it's almost like a, it's almost like an educational center. Like when you go down there, there's like little breakout sessions where people are talking about, you know, social justice. People are talking about, you know, the police, people are talking about things in the community. There's music, there's art, there's kids, there's, you know, elders. Um, But just a lot of people, multi-generational really coming together for the, for a common cause, which is really, 
accelerating and uplifting the human race. Specifically in this conversation, um, you know, the Black Lives Movement is is at the heart of that. Um, but I've found just around that you have so many other people who are backing that up and just wanting to voice other ways to really co- create just a more equitable Seattle, you know, so it's been yeah. really powerful just to watch people here come together and uh, have those conversations and, and, and not just the conversations, but I mean, they're really taking action. Um, it's, I mean, literally going on 24 hours a day. People are sleeping there. There's food there. There's a garden there. There's music. They have their own security. Uh, it's, it's literally like a small little, little city in a city. That's incredible. I have heard a lot about it. I have a family up there and a few of my friends were like, we just want to go experience what's going on because there's a lot of stigma, right, around um, or or a lot of misinformation and ideas around uh, protesting in general, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it it was beautiful. It's beautiful to hear your experience in it. And that's been the experience I've heard from um, almost everyone who's gone to check it out. And we're actually not too, Titus and I are located not too far from the Portland protests that happened downtown, but it's not, it doesn't feel like it's got quite the community feeling that it sounds like CHOP has. Mm. Yeah. You know, I I haven't, I actually haven't been back to Portland since everything went down with uh, Mr. Floyd, but I've, you know, obviously been able to watch and I mean, it does look like Portland did gain some momentum, but I think something here, which is unique, is that when the Seattle Police Department left that precinct, people really just, the community really just just, just really doubled down on that opportunity to just move in there. And I think that I think that's where a lot of the pushback is coming in the city, because some people are like, why did the police leave? Um, if the police didn't leave, then this may not have, may not have happened. Uh, but since they did leave, people have occupied it. And now it's just creating this, like some people love that Chaz is here and other people who live there are trying to sue the city because they don't feel like yeah. they're being protected. So it's just, there's a lot of politics behind uh, Chaz existing right now. Totally. Well, it's so cool to hear about your experience and and to be so close um, to get to see. And that's the piece I love about um about protests and coming together is the educational piece of like why why we're there and why it's important and and to hear voices that aren't always uplifted on the news and aren't always shared um because they're you know really of the people for the people and and i and i just think that's so important and i would love to hear how you got into sharing the mindfulness um, work with this prison community. I would love to hear how that um, started for you and and what that means to you. Yeah, no, I I appreciate that question, and uh, it's been a little over a year and a half. Um, you know, w- with everything going on, you know, protest and you know us being at an all time high in unemployment. There's also a pandemic in the background of all of this, which has. Um, made it really hard for us to be in the prisons doing the work. Um, I haven't actually been inside the prison for it's been almost four months. So we've, we've had to get really creative, but as far as how it started, I'll give you the abridged version. Um, I had a incredible opportunity last year to share um, a part of my story at TEDx Portland. And while I was there, I met a lady uh, by the name of Anna Debham who runs the inside Alliance, but she spoke at Ted 
and uh, just just shared sort of this revolutionary concept around the work she was doing. And essentially, it sounds radical, but it's not. But pretty much she, she said, um, none of us are broken, um, specifically speaking to the, the prison system or the, the the idea, the ideology around people who are in prison. A lot of people feel like they're broken. Something's wrong with them. They need this. They need that. But the work she does really, uh, it, it kind of strips that out and helps to re- remind people that you have everything you need. You're not broken. And it's really just a matter of getting control back over your thoughts and how you're perceiving the world. You know, nothing on the outside can actually affect you unless you allow it to. So, I mean, that was sort of the premise. And just hearing that, it really inspired and triggered me because I've been a student of meditation for, I mean, it's crazy to say out loud, but over 10 years on and off, mm-hmm. I'd feel over the last you know three or four years, I've become much more uh, consistent with it over the last year and a half specifically. Um, but I just remember hearing her talk uh, shortly after that, I met up with a friend of mine who was one of the speech coaches for me at TED. And I just said, hey, you know, do you know Anna? I would love to connect with her. I would love to just see what she's doing and see if I can help. She made it happen. Uh, Anna invited me to uh, CRCI, which is the uh, Columbia River Correctional Institution uh, in Portland, Northeast Portland. Um, I went there on a Wednesday and just sat in the class. Um, but before I went into the class, I was super intimidated, you know, because I'd never really been in prison. I've watched a ton of movies about prison and I'm like, you know, <laughs> right. I'm just like, yo, can you give me the 411? Like, can I look at people? Like, can I wear yeah. this? Can I do that? Yeah. You know, I just had my own, you know, stereotypes kind of going in my head. And she just looked at me and said, Carrie, these are human beings just like you. Bring yourself, be you. I'm like, okay, okay, I can do that. I can do that. So <sighs> yeah, I got in there and uh, long story short, um, after that first lesson, I just really fell in love with um, the work and was just really inspired by, you know, how you have, there's usually 26 to 28 men in this particular group. And I mean, I'm talking about the full spectrum. I mean, people who've done different things in their lives, um, really like transforming over the course of a 10 week program, simply because they were able to just kind of drop their thinking and just tap back into being present Um and I just, yeah, like I said, I was just really inspired by seeing someone work a room in that way without like trying to force it. Like it's really just a very in the moment, um, like an unlearning for a lot of people who are in there. And I, I just found that to be really powerful. And I just, I can't get enough. Wow. That's incredible. I am so inspired by that. I I have never... Um... The only experience I have had with uh, a sort of prison situation is my friend is a poet and a writing teacher, and she was running these um, youth programs at uh, juvenile detention centers. And she, it, it was incredible because she was helping these um, young men and uh, men identifying people sort of find their voice and find their, their truth. Mm. And it was beautiful to see. And I actually was like, Oh, can I, can I write a letter to them just saying like, thank you. Cause they were sharing. Um, she, she, they had given her permission to share some of their um, work and we got into this pen pal situation and it was really beautiful because um, these these kids were just so starved for love and to be seen as humans and to be seen as not bad. 
And um, in these letters, it was like just sort of, I was like, I don't know what to say to these kids except I see you and you're important and um, you're super lovable. And it was beautiful because the kids were like, can I visit you? Like no one's ever told me that before. And I can imagine how, as these adults are getting the experience of, of, of seeing like, you actually have so much within you and so much wholeness inside, like, what a beautiful thing to share. Yeah, I mean, the work is really, I mean, it, it really goes to show too, I mean, as humans, you know, one thing we have in common is that we want to be seen, we want to be heard, and we want to be listened to, you know, even beyond being just heard. And I just found that the greatest tool that I have, or or anyone really has, is to just be present with someone and to just hear them, you know, you know, sometimes... Um, you know, someone might, you know, kind of go off on a tangent about something that's happened in the past and Anna's very skillful with it and I'm getting better with it, but it's just learning how to hear them, listen to them, acknowledge them, and just sort of redirect that, that energy, um, just so that they can realize that, you know, these stories of yourself from the past don't have to determine who you are right now and moving forward. And again, you can't tell someone that. You can only create the space for something like that to Completely. really grow, you know? So it's really empowering, as you were saying, with the the, the young people and the, the opportunity to have them write poetry. It's like having someone share from their heart and listening to it and just having them have that moment of connecting, it's, it's so powerful just to be able to do that with people. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's it's also so beautiful because I imagine, you know, you were even saying, like, we see movies, the whole prison system is kind of designed to dehumanize those people, mm. put them out of sight, and um, I, I just watched, is it 21? Uh, have you seen that movie? 21. Um, is it called 21? Hold on. I'm going to 13th it Amendment? It's 13, yeah. 13, yeah. Okay. Because there's <laughs> 21 Grams, which has like Sean Penn in it, but I don't think totally. that's... Totally. I think I was swapping. I was mixing. But 13, yes. It's, uh, it's a documentary, and it was so eye-opening. Mm, yeah. And so... Um, so hard to see how humans are being treated. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm a pretty heart centered person. Like I'm very like, you know, I rely on energy and feelings and thought and, you know, connection. And with this movie, it's one of those things where, you know, you have people out there who are like, you know, slavery was over years ago. Like people are free. Like, what are you talking about? I don't get it. Like white people get arrested. Everyone gets arrested. But when you really look at the data and the science and the numbers and everything else in between, it's like, this isn't just me speculating. Like there is actual evidence <laughs> of yeah. this happening. And if you look at the prisons, like what the population is, and if you look at why that population is in there, it becomes very clear um, that, you know, there may not be slaves, but essentially like being a criminal kind of puts you in the same thing. So it's like, are people really free or are we just changing the name? You know what I'm saying? And that, that right there is, you know, I think 13 does a really good job of really just highlighting that, you know, we talk about land of the free, but really, is that, yeah. is that really the case? You know, we, we still got some work to do there for sure. 
Yeah, and I, th- I think that's also something that's really hard is that um, people's awareness of coming online to these sort of realities and, and the different privileges that we walk through the world with kind of gives us more blinders or less blinders to what's happening in the world. And I am, you know, I've experienced and felt so much um, of a sort of waking up of my, you know, my white community of people just being like, Oh my God, I had, I had no idea, which is like such a painful thing because, um, it's not really gone anywhere. It's changed and it looks different and it has different names. This sort of um, white supremacy that we um, uphold in this country, but it's, it's a lot to see a lot of people, especially people that I love and people that uh, I I thought, you know, might be in a different place um, developmentally with what's going on in the world and the reality. And I'm curious how you have felt um, being in a service role and supporting others and then also being uh, black and how, you know, you live in Portland or you're in Seattle now, but like living in Portland, I can imagine that that is um, a multitude of experiential feelings. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because Seattle and Portland have pretty similar demographics. Um, but yeah, to answer, to answer your question, you know, one thing that, I don't know. I don't know why I've been saying this, but I, I just like saying it. But, you know, one thing, you know, when people ask, you know, how are you doing? Like, what's going on, you know, in response to just, you know, the world and everything that's unraveling. The first thing I say is, you know, I, I've been black my whole life, you know, and, yeah. and what that means. I mean, what that means is there's a certain I, w- I don't want to use the word immunity because I'm never immune or desensitized by watching my brothers and sisters get killed um, innocently um, by people who are supposed to protect and serve. Uh, that like you never get used to that. Uh, what I am saying though is like I recognize even as a kid, like these are conversations that I was a part of before I could even talk. You know, so like I think there's a there's sort of just like this. Okay, I see. I know why that's happening. Like it's because of the there's this systemic racism that's in the background of this country, and that's why this stuff keeps happening. So it's not that I'm shocked, um, but I think for me, it's like I feel like because I'm. I'm closer to 40 than I am to 30. It's like over time, you know, like anything, you start to build a resilience. You know, it's like if you're walking outside or I'll I'll use a different example. If you want to learn how to play the guitar, like the first couple of times you play, like the calluses really, they hurt. Like your fingers really start to hurt. But over time, like you don't even feel it anymore. It becomes just part of what allows you to be able to create incredible music and do incredible work. And I think for me, because my heart has been broken so many times because of this so this this scenario, it's like I've built a resilience there that allows me to, like when these things happen, it's like almost the opposite reaction. Like I lean into it in a way that's like, how can I lean into this and help move the needle forward? Like you look at what happened with uh, Mr. Floyd, it's like George Floyd, like that, that literally was the straw that brought the camels back. Like it could have been anyone at that point. At that point, it could have been anyone, but it just happened to be George Floyd. And I just feel like at that point, like, I just feel like enough really was enough. And I I just feel like, you know, being in an environment where, you know, there's not very many people who look like me. And a part of my job is to hold space for people who don't look like me, uh, especially during this time. It's like, how do you, how do you walk in that space? And for me, um, I just feel like my strength really comes from just my own commitment to 
like first off, like just taking care of myself and like filling up my cup because I feel like right now, like if I'm not taking care of Carrie, you know, and spending the time, um, I have a pretty my, my my morning routine is literally the foundation to everything else that I do, and it's different for everyone. Everyone shows up differently, but from like five a.m. till about seven thirty, that is probably the most selfish time that that's as selfish as I'm going to be in the day. Like I'm extremely selfish from five to seven 30. Like it's meditation, it's writing, it's reading, it's exercising, it's deep breathing. It's having a really good shake. Like it's really just getting my frequency up to a point where I can walk in this world um, in a way that I'm not affected by everything that I know is going to come at me. So I just feel like I've developed uh, a resistance to uh, just all of the different stimulation that comes to me. So whether, you know, it's someone at work who's, you know, maybe having some, some issues with this concept of white fragility and we're having a conversation, it's like, I'm really just trying to practice radical kindness. Like I know some people are like, you know, I'm tired of this kumbaya stuff. We need to be, you know, on the front lines with guns and, you know, fighting back. There's a time and a place for that. I, I believe that 100%. But I also believe that in order for these bridges to really cross and in order for this healing to happen, some of us have to be able to operate in a way that allows people who might just really be coming around to this space to experience what they're experiencing without making them feel bad about it. Like it's not, it's not, to me, it doesn't feel good for me to point my finger or make someone feel bad because they're just getting on the train. I'd rather you get on the train late than not get on it at all, but just know that I'm not going to start over just because you got here. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you got to do the work, but in the same breath, it's like, I want people to know that like, yo, if you want to talk about something that's uncomfortable, I'll hold that space for you and we can talk about it and I'm not going to shame you or try to make you feel bad about it. Like, let's talk about it. Let's work through it and see what one thing we can do to move the needle. It's like, we can't do all of it in one sitting. So like, what's one thing you can do, even if that's just having a conversation with your mom or reading a book with a friend or watching 13, it's like, why are we trying to do everything when none of this happened in one day. Like it's a process. So for me, I think it's taking care of myself first off, grounding myself and then showing up in a way that just creates the space for whoever I'm interacting with, for them to be who they need to be. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of going off on a tan- tangent, Anna, but I've actually- to, Go off. <laughs> to, to, to just like pull this full circle, like I'm pretty independent when it comes to politics, but I definitely lean more to the left And I just feel like lately, I've actually been spending time listening to the other side just to hear what they're saying, just to hear it. You know what I'm saying? Just to really listen to it and understand it because it's like in order to really penetrate and create lasting change, it's like if everyone's yelling at the top of their lungs saying you're wrong, I mean, maybe that works on some level, but I just... I don't, I don't think that's the solution. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not saying that I need to bow down for someone to, um, for, for things to change. Like, I feel like I can still be strong, but I think it takes more strength to be kind and to bring compassion than it does to be, you know, uh, apathetic or cold like that. It's easy to be that, especially right now. There's so much yeah. pain. A lot of us are fragile. And I think we can show up when we can show up with just that space of compassion and strength to move the conversation forward instead of harping on what happened, I think it empowers everyone involved and really allows us an opportunity to 
you know, split open 2020 into a direction that we've never seen before in this country. You know, like that's that's the revolution I want to be a part of is what now? What are we creating now? We need we need the we need the past to propel us forward. Um, but how, how are we how are we doing that together? And are we allowing people to heal during this process? It's like if we keep scratching the wounds, no one's ever going to heal. And it's just going to be a, a finger pointing contest. And like I just I'm just trying to be one of many who are just trying to bring compassion and strength simultaneously. It's, it's, it's an art form. That's so beautiful. And you know, what's interesting. I'm going to share this with you. Um, so I've been in a, I, I do am part of a spiritual path called the diamond approach. And I don't talk a lot about it, but mm-hmm. what I love about, I've, I've been probably studying about seven or eight years in it. But what I love is that we learn about um, these different essential qualities within us. And they're these qualities that every person has. You're kind of born this bundle of essence and essential beingness. Mm-hmm. And, and then as you, you know, develop and you get indoctrinated into the culture, into your family's sort of inner culture, some of those essential qualities get kind of covered with, you know, your ego or what, whatever, your protective measures, how you cope, all these things. And my favorite essential, well, one of them, they're all pretty great. But <laughs> one of my favorites is the black essence. Hmm. And it is all about peace and power. Hmm. And that you... It's, it's sort of described as this like completely still lake where there's mystery and there's everything, but it's not this loud kind of power in your face. That's kind of this false sense of, you know, anger, mm-hmm. but it's this, it's, it's true power and it's very powerful. And when you talk, I was feeling this sort of bubbling up of this essential quality and what I love is it's also the black. Like it's, there's something um, so powerful in that. And, and yeah, that's a ta- my own tangent. But, but I think you're on to something in this idea and this concept that it is harder to bring compassion. And it is harder to um, meet someone with openness when the words they're saying can feel you know triggering or they can feel ignorant or they can feel whatever um we might want to react to them in that way but it's lovely to hear how your morning routine and how you really are selfish with that initial time of like how do I arrive to this day fully and present and then how, and then I can support. And I think um, as people are figuring out their new normal with all of this stirring in the world, that it's really easy to forget ourselves Mm -hmm. and to forget that like we have needs that are, are allowed to be there that aren't selfish that are like actually vital to our our ability to exist fully in our lives. So I love that reminder. 
Yeah, it, it really is the the foundation of it all. And um, I appreciate you sharing uh, the diamond approach. I'm definitely going to look that up uh, shortly after we finish up today. That sounds really interesting. Oh, yeah. You're going to nerd out. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I am curious, you know, you're working with Instrument, which is a great agency in Portland. Mm-hmm. And how has... You know, you talked about conflict resolution, like all these pieces. How how did you get into the work that you're doing? Was it something that you knew you wanted to do or was, what's the kind of journey that got you there? Yeah. Yeah. Again, I'll I'll give you the abridged version. Um, But yeah, you know, the, the first thing that I've ever like really wanted to do in my life, I want to be a magician, which I, I don't, I just thought it would be the coolest thing to be a magician. (laughs) Um, and I only had a couple of tricks and I just, I don't know, it just, it just kind of fizzled out. I'm like, okay, maybe I, I'll figure out something else, but you know, I, it's interesting. And, uh, you know, in high school, you know, I, I used to joke and say my favorite time of the day or my favorite classes were uh, PE and lunch simply because, <laughs> simply because that was a time where like, I felt the most free, like you, you know, you're not at your desk, like you can talk to people, you're laughing, you're having a good time, you're connecting. And, um, you know, I didn't excel so much academically in high school, but I did, um, not trying to brag or anything like that, but my claim to fame in high school is I was prom king and homecoming king. And it wasn't because of these traditional reasons. Like, I feel like I was that because I was friends with all the different crews. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't just like, oh, I'm a jock, so I'm just going to hang out with the jocks, or oh, I'm this, I'm just going to hang out with that. Like, I've always just seen people at the core. Like, people are people. And maybe I can thank my mom for that. Maybe I can thank my grandma for that. Maybe I can thank everyone who's come up before me to help, you know, kind of make carry. Um, but I've just always seen people at the heart level. So I feel like through the years, like there's so many different variations. Like I, I thought I wanted to, you know, be a filmmaker and I, I went to school for that. I really got into storytelling and just wanted to tell compelling stories because I was just starting to get inspired by stories that I I wasn't, I didn't learn in school. Like I started reading a lot and I'm like, wow, it'd be great to make movies and share these stories and inspire people and change the world. Like that was, that was sort of how my heart was beating. And, you know, again, you know, I, I still appreciate filmmaking, but I just, for me, I just realized that like, okay, I can do this, but I don't know if this is the career because you know you're working 12 hours. Um, it just it did, the 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 reality didn't fit in with how I saw myself living. Like I think I was just more caught up on actually having a finished film and showing it on a big screen than I was in doing the work. And it was hard for me to to recognize that. But once I recognized it, I was able to move out. And um, I'd say just over the last five years or so, um, I just really started getting into. Um, like this whole concept of like human resources, uh, emotional intelligence, servant leadership, um, storytelling, um, and just being able to communicate effectively to other people to help um, just really figure out like how this person learns or how this person might be able to transform. So over the last, let me see, I started at Instrument almost my one, my one year anniversary will be in September, so almost a year ago. So previous to that. I had um, I was I was a community program manager um, for this large uh, sports management company that focused specifically in the golf industry, and that sounds kind of weird because I never played golf as a kid. Like I didn't even know we had a golf team until I looked at the yearbook. But just about two years ago, two and a half years ago, 
um, I was I was trying to quit smoking cigarettes because I've smoked on and off over the years. I grew up around people who smoked. It was just I really just loved the like hot smoke at the back of my throat. There was just something about it. I just I, I loved it, and I didn't care if I was going to die from it or if they said that. Like it just didn't matter in my head. So yeah, I, don't know. I just got to a point in my life where I'm like, okay, you know, I'm getting older. You know, I want to live. I'm tired of having to wash my hands all the time. You know, my mouth tastes nasty. How can I quit? I tried everything, and I was smoking a. Uh, you know, a premium rolled American, premium blend American spirit, organic cigarette, something like that, some expensive <laughs> cigarette, smoking it. And like, I look in this alleyway of where I live and I saw like this golf course, golf cart that someone was throwing away. Like it was pretty beat up, but I didn't know. So I'm like, oh, a golf club. So I grabbed the golf club and I just started swinging it. I've always been kind of curious about golf. Like I knew who Tiger Woods was, but I, you know, I didn't really go much deeper than that. But I'm like, wow, you know, I've been looking for something a little active. I played sports in high school, but looking for something now. I'm like, okay, today, if I have the urge to smoke a cigarette at all, I'm just going to um, swing this golf club. And it worked. Long story short, um, like it, it, it sent me down this road to where I started learning all about golf and realizing that, wow, this sport is great, but how come I'm just learning about this? And then going deeper, I realized like how racist the background of golf was like yeah. you couldn't play in these tournaments if you were black and there were a lot of blacks who played but they couldn't play so i just got really amped up and i'm like wow i would love to bring this sport to my community and like share the benefits of playing this game you know from networking to health benefits xyz so i started working at this golf course because i wanted to be part of putting together an initiative to reach out to these communities and getting them to the golf course and that was great but during that time, I just realized that there was a ceiling on my growth. And when it wasn't nice outside, it was painful to be sitting in that uh, pro shop. So the reason I'm telling you all this is during my time of learning to play golf, a friend of mine introduced me to um, the COO of Instrument, uh, this gentleman named Vince, who was like an avid golfer, also um, I was I was doing some business development stuff in the cannabis space for a while, and he had a product that I had a chance to kind of move into the market a bit. But long story short, I had a couple conversations with him playing golf. You know, one of the reasons people play golf is to make connections. But him and I played golf a couple times with some other friends, and one time we played, he's like, "Hey, Carrie, you know, we've we've hung out a bit. We we have this role that." might be opening up at my company, but I don't know exactly when it, I don't know exactly what it is. And I'm not sure when we're going to hire for it, but I think you would be great at it. I'm like, <laughs> what does that mean? You know, <laughs> what do you want me to do with that? You know? So I just kind of kept following up on that. And this was like January of last year. Um, I just kept following up on it. I finally was able to like set up like a coffee date with uh, the director of HR at the time. We met a couple times, Long story short, Anna, it took me seven and a half months from that time where Vince told me about this role to actually getting hired. And in between that time, like I left the golf course because I wanted to create space for it to happen. I started, be, before that, I had a uh, digital strategy web development company. So I was doing that on the side, you know, all kinds of other side hustles. Um, it got it got so real. I mean, I think, I mean, I even drove for Uber for like a month. I'm like, I picked up someone that I knew and I just... I don't know. I just felt weird. I'm like, all right, let me let me just take a step back. Nothing wrong with Uber, but it's like, come on, man. Like, what are we doing? I did live for two weeks. I get it. Yeah, like you start seeing people you know, and you're just like, 
Wow. I did it until it felt like a taxi driving job. Yeah. Like I did it when I was like, ooh, this is interesting. I'm meeting all these people. <laughs> and then I got to a place where I was like, okay, what are my priorities? <laughs> what are my priorities? You know, it's real. But I'm grateful that something like that exists because it does it does help a lot of people kind of push through that that phase, you know. But long story short, I mean, it was just kind of a long, long process, you know. But ultimately, um, I've just always been committed to building authentic relationships with people and really just finding how I can best support people. You know, like there's no agenda. Like my pleasure comes from seeing other people shine and seeing other people like rise to the occasion of their own strength and their own greatness. So um, ultimately, I think it was just kind of a, call it serendipity, call it, uh, I don't want to call it luck because I don't believe in luck so much, but I think it was just me putting out into the world. Oh yeah. And I forgot to mention that during that time, um, this is a whole nother story, but growing up, um, I didn't really, I never really knew who my biological father was. I had someone in my life, but I didn't know like who my biological father was like the real deal. And during that time I took a, uh, one of those DNA tests not even thinking anything about it, but results come back. Um, it's like, oh, we have a match. They like, I get a message and someone's like, hey, I just stumbled on your profile. I'm in extreme shock, but it says you're my son. I'm like, what? I shared that with my mom and I reached out to him. But but through that process, um, every year I have like a, a word, like a word of the year. Instead of a resolution, I have a word. And that particular year, it was vulnerability. Um I got this information. Someone invited me to speak um, on the topic of resilience. And I'm like, huh, maybe I can slide this story into resilience. So I shared this story about how I didn't know who my dad was to taking this test, to discovering my dad, to hopefully meeting him someday. I did that story. Um, A friend of mine recorded it. I posted some of it on social media. My friend Vince, who was the guy who's like, hey, you know, I may have this position, but I don't know when. He saw the video. He was inspired. He was touched. He shared it with his friend, who happens to be one of the head curators of TEDx Portland. That guy called me in. Hey, um, your story was really powerful and impactful. Would you like to share it at TEDx? And I'm like, yeah, I want to share it. So I got to do that. And then during that time, I got to meet JD because JD also spoke at TEDx. And JD is the creative, he's the CCO at Instruments. So I got a chance to bond with him a little bit and he got to know me. So it's like, it's so crazy. But like I meet Vince and then through TED, I meet JD. And then through one of the dinners, uh, one of the TEDx dinners, I got to meet Justin, who was another one of the uh, partners. He's a CEO now. But I think just through them getting a feel for me and seeing how I was showing up in the world, the impact that I was making just in my community, I think they saw that, wow, if this guy was here, um, I wonder if he could do the same thing in our organization. So they gave me that opportunity. And um, it's been, I mean, everything comes with its challenges, but it's like they wouldn't have brought me on if there were no challenges. So it's like, it's yeah. right now, I feel like if I'm going to work for anybody, I want to work in a space where I can grow, make an impact and really enjoy what I'm doing. And so far, um, all of that is all of that is lining up in spite of, you know, the challenges that all organizations and companies are facing right now. Completely. Wow. Carrie, can you tell me, do you know what your Enneagram type is? Yeah, I'm a seven. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. 
I was like, I'm getting seven vibes, but I wanted to see. I think the magic, the magician, kind of sealed the deal for me. If your first dream job, that's awesome. Do you remember what your first dream job was? Oh, I always wanted to be like an actress. Like I wanted to be like a star. Well, I mean, you're 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 kind of fulfilling that right now. My own way. I like the way it's it's come out better than my original vision, which was just like, you know, like the most stereotypical, didn't even look like me person. So like Julia Roberts kind of deal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, so I have a question for you. I have a couple of them, and. I'm really curious because it seems like you have really honed in on, you know, how you show up in the world and how, how you create a space of belonging. And even in our first conversation, I, I, it was interesting because it was, I met you at Instrument and um, had an end, Titus is... <laughs> Uh, was working there, is working there. And what I loved was that there is just a sense in your beingness that's like, I want to know who you are. Like I felt it. I didn't feel like I I was putting, imposing on your time, imposing on your space. Like there's just a real um, openness. And so I'm curious what in your discovery you have found if someone was to say, hey, Carrie, I want to do, I want to create a new company or product or something, and it was to bring a bunch of people in, what are three things that you would say, hey, these are the three things we need to make sure exist or that we have or are present or are, are thought about in order to make this feel like the people that you've worked with and the people that you want to connect with are invited and feel welcome? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. The first three things that come to my heart, um, I'd say the first thing really would be to establish like your core values, which could also be like your mission statement. But I think you have to really get clear on what you want to create. What kind of experience do you want to create for your your target audience, your target market? Um, I would say on top of that, I would say after if, if commitment isn't part of your core values of some sort, um, I would say the next part really is just like committing to um, your team, like committing to the growth of the people around you, even more than your own growth. Again, I feel like personal growth is extremely important. That pretty much is going to be the third thing. But I think the second thing really is just committing to the growth of the people that you're bringing along for the ride. Because one thing that I've learned, especially when you talk about this topic of inclusion, is you know you have people who come together, they have this great idea, they start to build it. It gets so big that the, the people who were not part of that vision, uh, unless they're invited, will never be like part of that inner circle. So it's like, if you don't create that inclusion somehow, even if it's broken up in smaller teams, you're always gonna have this disconnect of people who just don't feel like, they're really part of the team. You know what I mean? Like you really have to build in inclusion. And I think that just starts with being committed to the growth of the people on your team. And then I would say third, uh, just really committing to your own personal growth. Again, it's like, 
I feel like the reason I'm able to hold space for people is because I can hold space for myself. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, one of the biggest, one of the biggest things that get in our way, anyone's way of their own greatness is, is them. It's their thoughts. It's, it's how they're, how they're showing up in the world, you know? So core values, a commitment to the growth of like your team and then the commitment um, of growth for yourself. I would say like those, I think that's the foundation me personally. I love that. And I love that. I love the order you gave because it's like all three are super important, but it's like figuring out your value, your mission, like what it, who you want to talk to and why, and like what you're showing, why you're showing up for them. And then the commitment to the team and the growth of the team all held by like, I commit that I'm going to do my own work to stay out of the way of our work together. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's like also really great relationship advice for interpersonal relationships, whether it's friendships or Mm. relationships is like, I, uh, I think we get really comfortable with our people being the way that they are and wanting them to be like, okay, I know you like this. I want you to be this way. And, and really, we're not ever stagnant. We're growing all the time. We're changing. Situations are changing. And I think that's a beautiful reminder to have the commitment to the growth of the people in your life, too. Mm, 100%. Yeah. And, and to just keep that sense of how do I fill my cup up first? It's that... I, it's so cheesy, but that like oxygen mask on you before anyone else. And, yeah. but it's really like vitally true. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And just to piggyback or echo what you said, it's like, you know, it's, there's a time and a place to be clever, but some things that are just simple and cheesy just work. Like if it's too hard to understand, <laughs> yeah. like you're, you're going to spend too much time trying to figure it out. Like give me something simple and cheesy, you know, I'll run with that. Totally. I also found something interesting um, in the past couple of weeks. It's this new awareness I have where, and it, it could possibly be, you know, that Enneagram seven nature I got going. <laughs> but I was, re- I realized when I get into uncomfortable situations with, you know, whatever I'm working through, or, or if there's, you know, a problem at work that I'm needing to kind of navigate. I tend to go like to a research place to try to find something else that's going to help. And what I recently realized is like, if I could just let the discomfort penetrate my heart and just let it be here, Mm. there's enough energy to propel me to do something different. But that resistance can really busy my mind to create all kinds of, uh, alternate sources to get things done that aren't actually getting <laughs> anything done. Yeah. And so I think there's there's a, a real invitation in holding ourselves accountable and meeting ourselves to really like let yourself feel what is happening and let it be okay that it's not always okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's well put. 
That's well put. You know, when I start to feel like I need to do something or like I need to fix something, like that's when I know it's time for me just to just to be. <laughs> Take a couple of breaths and just sit in that. Whatever that is, is, is probably exactly where I need to be. I, I totally hear you. And isn't it so hard? And you usually do like all the stuff and then you're like, oh, fuck, I forgot I was supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite thing is like when people are like, yeah, I'm trying to rush to yoga class. It's like, why are you rushing to yoga? Like, <laughs> Come on. Or when you're like, I don't have time to meditate. And then you're I like, okay, I should do I don't have time to meditate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, we're all doing the best we can in this meat suit. You know, the human experience is, uh, it's, Yeah. It's, it's not for the faint of heart. I'll tell you that. It truly is not. <laughs> but it's so, it's so worth it when you... I've, I've noticed lately, like, I feel like 2020 is kind of a, a year. To, it's like the gift of grief is 2020. Mm, mm. And I've noticed that there's something about the grief when I really let it penetrate my heart and really allow myself to be with it. It's so connecting. Like it's, I have this idea in my head that if I was to be with this, that it would just, you know, it would be too much or take me too far out of, of what's going on. And, and really it like drops me right into the moment and right into myself. Cause it's the truth. Mm, yeah. That's such a good reminder. Um, I was listening to something the other day. There's an actual term for it, um, but I, I don't I don't quite remember the term. But essentially, there there are people who believe, and I again, people are allowed to think whatever they want to think. But this particular group of people believe that people who choose to have kids are selfish uh, because this world is so messed up, and bringing a child into this world is just not a responsible thing to do. Like this is a whole movement. And it's interesting because it's like, okay, I, I hear you. Um, mm -hmm. I, I get it. You know, there is a lot going on in the world and a child um, shouldn't have to go through this, you know, very, very, very um, particular about saying shouldn't because I, you know, I, I don't think anyone should should on themselves, but sometimes we use that word. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like, you know, just because there is grief, just because there's suffering doesn't mean that this experience isn't worth it. You, you know what I'm saying? It's like there's yeah. so much magic that happens between the grief and the suffering and the tears and the heartbreak that I would, I would never trade that in, you know? So to say that bringing a kid into this world is the most irresponsible thing you could do is sort of taking away from the fact that nothing lasts forever, not even, you know, these extremely challenging times. And generally when we work through that, um, we grow, we get more connected, and there's something in us that is just a little bit stronger and a little bit more aware than we were before we went through that. So it's like, I, like you said, there's like this gift in grief um, that I feel specifically in our culture here in America that we don't, I mean, this is the instant gratification. I want it now, you know, every day is a good day yeah. culture, you know, but when you look at other, you know, places that have been around for 4,000, 5,000 years, <laughs> you know, there's just sort of this healthy balance of like, hey, like this is just part of the human experience. There's no need to put too much energy on either side of it. You can be neutral and still have a full experience, you know? I love that. And I think that that's so, such a great reminder is like, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And for some, it it does. And that's like, that's the beauty of having the, the choice to decide for yourself what is best. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we all get to be so different and have you know, our likes and our dislikes and our weird things we do and our quirks, like that is part of what makes us so unique and so special. Mm. And even the trauma, (laughs) it also brings our personal flavor to how we experience and move through the world. So, yeah. Yeah. That's well put. And can I, I just want to echo what you just said. Um, I think too, you know, you were talking about the gift of grief. I, I really, I, I'm just, I, I love that. I love that you said that. But I think about this, this pandemic right now and what it's forced a lot of us to do for, for a lot of us the first time ever in our lives since we were like super young. Um, but you were talking about giving us a chance to get to know ourselves and to just really show up. You know, it's like a lot of us have been spending time getting so far away from ourselves that we have no idea who we actually are. And I feel like this pandemic and maybe not just the pandemic, there are a lot of different things, but I'd say specifically with people, you know, not really going outside and a lot of things being closed, we just have more time with ourselves. Now, don't get me wrong. I know people are watching a lot of Netflix, you know what I mean? Like there's nothing wrong with Netflix, you know, but I do feel like people are spending more time like with themselves or maybe just looking at their phones and being like, wow, you know, like who are my people? Like, what is my tribe? You know what I'm saying? But I think like when we can slow it down for a second in the midst of, you know, this chaos that's happening around us, it gives us a chance to really ask and sit with the discomfort of who am I? What do I want? Why am I here? What do I want to create? How can I make an impact? Who is my community? Where is my community? Like these are the most important questions in my eyes that, I I mean, I ask myself these questions every day, you know what I mean? So for me to know that more people are spending time asking these questions, I feel like even though it might not look like it for some right now, like I think this is part of the healing process. You cannot heal unless you go to the source of the pain. And I think right now, us just looking in the mirror is the hardest thing, the hardest thing that we've been given a opportunity to do. But a lot more of us are doing it. And I just feel like as a result, uh, we'll be much more connected and, and able to heal because of it. I think you're absolutely right. And that was such an eloquent way of putting it. And yeah, there's a really cheesy line from, I think it's The Fault in Our Stars, which is like mm. a teen movie, but, <laughs> and like written by, I don't know, it's hilarious. But they say they said this and I've never forgotten it. And it's pain demands to be felt. Mm. It truly talk. does. Yeah. And, and we can run from it for only so long. In my uh, in the time and approach, I'm one of the youngest people because a lot of people hit a point of being like, there's got to be more than this at like 50, 60, 70. And so I love having, you know, you on the show and all of these people who are younger who are saying like, hey, we got to look inside. We got to come back mm. um, because we can do it before we're we're super old and we can have these full lives um, with pain and with joy and with every way in which an experience could show up. Mm -hmm. But like, I love this invitation of 
checking in. Who am I? Who are my people? How do I, how do I want to operate in the world? What do I care about? What are my personal values? I feel like that's something recently I've had to do is like, oh, I'm operating with the U.S.'s values. Those aren't my values. Those are values I was told that are valuable. <laughs> They're not what I've decided is um, how I want to operate. And so, yeah, I'm, I love that. And it's hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's a full-time gig for sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's so real. <laughs> yeah. So now I have my money maker question, and this is like for all for all the all the change. I don't know. I have. <laughs> I was trying to think of a cute metaphor. It didn't come out. It You're on like your it. way. You stopped. <laughs> I know. I didn't give myself the full moment. But if you could change one thing about the world or in the world, and you had a magic wand, you could use a wand, fairy dust, however you want to. You know, you're a magician, so you might have special ways. However you want to, what would you do? Yeah, that is the moneymaker question. Um, I love it. You know, it's. I think it's. it just boils back down to kind of what we started with earlier. Um, I would really, I would change the relationship that we have to ourselves. And again, you know, I feel like we live in a society now where, you know, there's this fine line between like narcissism and like self-awareness, you know, very fine line. Um, but it's a very clear line when you really look at what the difference is. And I just feel like I would just change that. I guess what I would want to change is that what's happening inside of you is more important than anything that's happening outside of you. And I just feel like if people can just start to recognize that what you put in <laughs> is what you're going to get. Um, I think it would alter this reality in a completely different way. So I think really just kind of going back to this concept of knowledge of self and spending time in the darkness of your soul. <laughs> and if yeah. you're not, if you're not religious or spiritual, just spending time with yourself, um, just dealing with that discomfort and realizing that no one can make you feel anything. Like no one can make you feel anything. Like we're literally interpreting through our own perception and through our own stories what other people are doing. And I just think if we can just gain control over that dialogue, that self-talk, um, I just feel like the world would be, we would feel much closer as humans. I would love that. I'm I'm hoping that happen that magical wish comes true. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it would just be there would just be so much more peace in everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's a, it's a full-time gig, you know, I, I feel like even the concept of peace, it's like, I think even through my meditation practice for a while, I would try to find like this sweet spot of like, I'm thinking too much. I need to stop thinking. I need to feel peaceful. Where's that moment? And like, sometimes it's not even about the peace. Like, it's just about just being with it, everything we feel, I mean, these words, it's language. It's like, it's made up. It's not even, it's, I mean, it's real, but it's, it's made up. And, and when I say peace, I think I more mean like the struggle would be the, the, the jig would be up. We would just mm. be meeting every moment, meeting ourselves, meeting people. Yeah. And, and like letting that unfold versus I think it's, 
you know, I, I often find I'm like rehearsing how I want to talk to someone or rehearsing how I want to, uh, in a situation to play out. And it's like, that builds this immense amount of expectation. Yeah. When really it's like, I can have the confidence to know that I can handle any situation and yeah, I might cry. Yeah. I might yell. Yeah. Something might happen. I might react, but I, if I'm in the, in the space of myself, then I can handle it. It's when I eject out and I just start reacting out of emotion because I'm, you know, scared and a trauma response or whatever flies out the window. So I love this invitation. No, I I totally hear you. And I just want to say one quick thing, going back to what you said about peace. um, Thank you for going deeper in that because I, I hear you. And I think, again, you know, we go back to racism. It's like racism exists because someone has a thought in their mind about someone that they've never really experienced with that person. It's just a thought based on something that they heard or something that they think. And it's like when you can just show up and be present and let someone show you who they are, let them be who they are, um, it just opens this world up in a way to where we're not living in judgment, but we're living in the present. And again, I think life is much more beautiful when you're present than when you, like you said, already have these preset um, um, scenarios of how things are going to unravel. And I, I totally hear you. I'm looking forward to this this jig, as you said, uh, <laughs> to be up as well of like these, you know, these projections that we have on each other. It's like we need to kill those projections. And I, I just had this vision as you were talking about that. Like, if we could meet someone, let them tell us who they are, and then manage the littlest part of us who's so scared wants to be seen, wants to be friends, doesn't know if they want to be friends. Like all of that can still exist. Yeah. But if that can be managed like in an interpersonal way with us, like I managing that part of me, Mm -hmm. then we can meet people as people because we're all kind of caring for the part that kind of projects and dumps over. Mm, That was well put. Mm Mm-hmm. I love that. Well, Carrie, I have loved this conversation. And I know that there's going to be people listening who are like, uh, how do I get uh, in touch? How do I connect? What is, I want that. So <laughs> how do people connect with you? How do they work with you? How do they get a little carry action? A little carry action. Okay, there's two ways. <laughs> Very simple. Um, my name, I think it'll probably be around this, but uh, yeah, at Carrie Human on on all social platforms. And then as far as my website, I do uh, career coaching. Uh, that's T as in Tom, H as in house career coaching. It stands for 10th house career coaching. The 10th house quick story is like your career, your influence sector in uh, astrology. And um, yeah, I just... I'm really fascinated with just how we show up in the cosmos. So yeah, anyone looking to transition in their career or dive deeper into their strengths to make the most of what they're currently doing, I would love to support and, and hold that space for them. Ooh, I love that. Okay, what's your sign? Everyone needs to know. <laughs> well, my sun signs, um, I'm a Sagittarius Scorpio cusp. And then my moon Whoa. sign is Libra. Okay, Carrie, stop. What are we, twins? I'm a Sagittarius <laughs> Capricorn cuss with the moon sign of Le- of Libra. We might be twins. I mean... God, we're twins. Okay, that's cute. <laughs> I love that you're a Sagittarius, though, and it makes even more sense, um, just how you show up. That's awesome. 
That's so cool. Well, this has been such a joy and um, I will tag you so that everybody can find you. And thank you so much for being here with us and have the best day. Yeah. And I just want to say thank you again for having me on your show. Um, it's, it's truly a gift uh, just to be in touch with you and just what you're doing as far as holding space and giving people like myself and others a chance to share is, uh, yeah, truly an honor. Thank you for, for reaching out and having me on today. Oh, you're the best. Thanks, Carrie. Take care. <laughs>